0: This is Reinvented. I'm Chris Bordoni, and this show is about the art and science of transformation. In Season 2 of Reinvented, we're exploring ways to design a better life, from your physical health to your mental well-being, and far, far beyond. Today I'm joined by Heather Darwall-Smith, author of The Science of Sleep, Stop Chasing a Good Night's Sleep, and Let It Find You. During this conversation, we chat about how getting a good night's sleep starts during the day, how to improve your sleep quality and quantity, and the importance of experimentation to find what works for you. Let's get started.
1: Great. Um, Well, hi, Chris. Thank you for having me today. Um, My name's Heather. I am Heather Darwell-Smith. I'm a psychotherapist. I work in London, and my specialty is sleep as a psychotherapist, um, and I really, I really feel passionately about the importance of getting people to be able to rest and relax and ultimately sleep because in psychotherapy we're really looking at what quality of life is and how it is to be here and if our sleep is affected it's so so huge an impact on our lives Um, so I've made it my path to go down the road of purely working in sleep Um, but of course that encompasses all that we are uh, so I take a really multifaceted approach to that. My training is a mindfulness-based psychotherapy, um, but I've also done further training in sleep medicine, CBTI, which is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy for Insomnia. Um, I was a body worker, so I worked in massage and with uh, quite an extensive anatomy physiology training because I really like to know how stuff works. So I'm always training. There's always more stuff going on because it's once you open this tin, it it doesn't stop.
0: You know, I think everyone knows intuitively that sleep is important. Um, You know, we, our parents probably told us to get more sleep or, and if you're, you know, you know that if you're, you're grumpy, maybe you haven't been getting enough sleep or you don't feel good when you don't get enough sleep. Like, I think there's a lot about it that seems like common sense. But one of the things I observe is that when you think about like where people spend their time, their attention, their money, so much more effort goes into things like diet, like exercise, mental health, even today. And I feel like sleep, even though it's something where we we are spending a lot of our time, or perhaps should be spending more of our time, is something that seems like it takes a backseat for at least a lot of the people that that I spend time around. So I guess let's start at the beginning. Why is sleep in fact important? Like why should we care about sleep? And I guess maybe related to that, is there a reason why we sort of all take it I, seemingly for granted?
1: I think the, 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 the sort of first thing that I, I like to think about sleep is um, without it, we wouldn't be here. If, you, if we were to think of our bo- this, this body, this organism and um, what it needs to do, it does a lot of its repair overnight when we're asleep. And if you like, it's like our conscious self goes offline, and we're out of the way. Which gives us the give the body the energy to start to rebuild itself. So we we um, growth hormones are produced so that repairs our bones and skin and organs. Our brain has a fantastic clearance mechanism that happens only in sleep, where it flushes out um, toxins like beta amyloid and tau, which are believed to be part of why we get Alzheimer's. Mm. It modulates our immune system, so it helps to rebuild um, all those aspects of of in, um, immunity, it helps improve performance, it helps learning and memory. So while we're asleep, stuff shuttling around the brain backwards and forwards into our different memory stores. Um, it it affects absolutely all that we are. I mean, without it, we are really in trouble because so many of those actions that happen when we're asleep don't happen. So it's not that we just feel grim the next day. Um, we are literally draining our system of of this essential nutrient, if you like. But it's it's an interesting one when you say that people prioritize um, diet and exercise and things. I I think we have to be really careful about how we prioritize sleep because I'm someone who thinks actually we've started to overly focus on achieving sleep. Mm. Whereas actually if we really put that energy into learning to relax, for example, sleep will start to take care of itself because actually biologically as long as there's no sleep disorders in the picture or multiple or psycho- psychiatric disorders and all sorts of different things, ultimately, biologically, sleep should do what it does. If we're out of the way, our body will take it.
0: That's interesting. So instead of sleep being a thing to go and do, like, would you agree that sleep is an outcome of other good choices?
1: Definitely, definitely. It's It's what our body is built to do. And actually, one of the things that really first caught my attention with sleep is it's almost if you like the ultimate in letting go and what is it that stops us doing that what what is our need to control so much and do so much that stops us letting go because it sleep is like nectar for the body it's what is it that stops us doing that
0: hmm yeah, so I mean, let's let's dive into that. You work with a range of different patients, and you've obviously done a ton of research and in, going into this book and and as part of your training. What are some of those reasons? Like, what's why is it that folks either get hung up on thinking about sleep in the wrong way or make choices that prevent them from having the outcomes they might be looking for?
1: Oh, it's really really complicated um, because I see there is no one who's not touched by poor sleep problems because if you think of ourselves our being as an organism um how it is to be in the world this nervous system is, is a sensory being it, it's constantly connecting to everything that's around us all the time and we're living at a very fast pace so it's our environments are often very hectic so our body's responding so it puts us on hyper alert pressures with work and life and family all of that again puts us up onto hyper alert um, our environments, when we're not getting enough light and our sort of light-dark cycle is out of sync, out of sync. Um, that puts our internal rhythm out, the internal circadian rhythm out. It's, it's almost like an assault on this, this nervous system that's happening all the time. So when you think of it in that way, it's really logical that you don't, we don't sleep. So the last 18 months, worldwide pandemic, there's, for me, there's this sort of undercurrent of anxiety that's shared across the world. And that pushes the system up into arousal because, of course, we've got something we need to be awake for. We're not safe. So the body's going, I'm awake, right, I'm looking around, I'm trying to keep safe. So that's one example of how anxiety pushes us up and out into wakefulness. But it's, it's every different aspect. I've been working with a lot of university students who here in the UK, there's been a, I don't know how it's been, Um, elsewhere, but lots of students are in lockdown, so they've moved to a new city, they don't know anyone, suddenly they're in a lockdown environment trying to attend university. Um, That has an almost catastrophic effect on their well-being, mental health, and subsequently sleep. Yeah. Work with a lot of people, um, a lot of real high achievers, um, and almost perfectionism and insomnia, sort of, they're great bed partners. They are, there's, there's some sort of strange twist in that that makes us super driven super successful also keeps us awake um so i see a lot of people who are very very accomplished in what they do real perfectionists but of course that drive to be aware to be awake to do is something that also keeps us awake it's that sort of heightened state of stress which is useful until we try to sleep
0: yeah And thinking about I'm thinking about folks that listen to this um and, and I think a lot of them fit the mold of what you're talking about perfectionists, highly driven people, highly successful people um and and ones I think who are also, you know, experiencing this this world in which we've created where we're always on, people are always asking things of us and there's there's sort of a the the baseline of stress has continued to rise and rise and rise and so I think much of what you're much of what you're describing I think resonates. Uh, it, it does seem to some extent like it's crept up on us. And I think maybe the last 18 months have made it clear that that some of these things are in fact problems. Um, but I suspect that many of things are, these are trends that um, existed before the pandemic and have just been made worse now that there's some additional pressures on folks.
1: I like to think of it, if you think you've got a, a jar of marbles and, and in that jar, so you, the, the marbles sort of build up and you've got lives, so you've got relationships, home paying your bills, job, and the, 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 the jar starts to fill up. And we tend to have a certain amount of space at the top of that jar. And we want to keep that amount of space. But when life starts to start to build up and go a bit faster, then there's more marbles going in the jar. So it's like, oh, I'm going for that promotion, or um, my company's being bought out, or my wife's pregnant, or worldwide pandemic. And suddenly, there's very few, very little space left in that jar. And the jar is full of marbles. And that, I call it, those marbles are um, stress hormones, mm. um, cortisol and adrenaline. And suddenly there's nowhere to go. There's no movement. That jar is full. And I think that's the thing I've really seen over the last 18 months, that jar, people's jars are full. Whatever little headspace they had, which before was, was often pretty thin, but now suddenly that we've just been pushed over that into, okay, now there's something else in the mix.
0: Yeah. And I imagine there's a there's um a- Uh, not a virtuous cycle, but the opposite in play here, where as you get more stressed, your sleep quality suffers. And as your sleep quality suffers, I think as you're describing your body's ability to reset its hormones, to lower your stress levels, et cetera, that stuff is diminished. And then you, you show up the next day sort of with more marbles in your jar or not having been able to take as many of them out as you might normally do. And so I imagine that these things start to compound or, um, grow in a way that that's, that's actually quite exponential as opposed to linear.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting because people will often say I don't know what the trigger is, why that why is this happening. And actually I think it is that build up. It's that just one more marble that's pushed it too far. It does creep and then all of a sudden you've got this situation because we're just on this cycle all the time. Sleep deprived, overstressed, not enough time. It's just all the time it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. So it does tend to Sometimes seem like it's come out of nowhere, but I think it, it does tend to have a quite a long tail buildup.
0: Yeah. It's interesting to think about this conversation because I feel like we could take it in two different directions. There is the like, how do you reduce stress in your life portion of this? Right. How do you how do you keep yourself from putting more marbles in the jar, perhaps takes them out. And then there's the other side of it, which is how do you get better quality sleep and allow your body to help you reset? Right. And, and we can perhaps talk about both sides, but I definitely want to talk about the latter side. Um, because I know that that's where you have a lot of your, of your expertise, I guess as an entry point, what does good sleep actually look like? Is there sort of an ideal that we should be shooting for? Or how do you think about, you know, when you, when you take on a new client, like, how do you think about what good actually looks like for each person?
1: I like to think about it as how do you feel during the day? Do you feel um, relatively awake and rested and alert, allowing for the fact that you will have natural energy dips during the day? Are you waking naturally, um, maybe before your alarm clock, and not necessarily needing to reach for the caffeine? Mm -hmm. Um, How many of us actually know what that feels like? Not that many, interestingly. Um, sometimes you may get that feeling. It's that feeling you might get if you've got a long weekend and you have the sort of middle of the weekend and you wake up and go, oh, wow, whew, I feel I feel good. I don't, mm. my head's not spinning. There's, yeah, I just feel good. So I think that's the first thing. How do you feel during the day? What's going on for you during the day? So if you do find you're really struggling to get up in the morning, the alarm is it's like it's killing you. The alarm goes off and you just want to throw it out the window and you're necking quite caffeine like it's going out of fashion and you can really feel yourself going that tends to say that your sleep is not great quality and quality and quantity are two really different things with sleep so yeah. you may get um so someone might say right i'm gonna i get nine hours sleep but i'm shattered um because it may be that the quality isn't great And adults tend to need between seven and nine hours sleep. Um, I tend to find it sort of sits quite well, seven, seven and a half hours sleep. Um, There's no perfect amount. It's really individual as to what you may need. Um, Some people have a really weird quirk of a gene that suggests that they are really short sleepers and they can do really well with sort of five hours sleep. They are actually very rare, more rare than we say they are in the population. We do tend to need around seven to nine hours sleep. And the way sleep goes, you've got four or five cycles that go up and down through the night. Each cycle is between 90 and 120 minutes. And we move through different phases of sleep. So as we're falling asleep, you hit the bed and you feel your eyes closed and you go, oh, I'm drifting off, I'm drifting off. And your brain is starting to go from a beta brain state into an alpha state and theta and sort of dialing out. And as you do, you're going down through stages one and two of sleep. Stage two is sort of light sleep and we spend 60%, around 50-60% of our sleep in stage two. And then we dip into stage three sleep, which is deep sleep, which is a really delta slow brainwave state. And we have in the first half of the night we get the more of our deep sleep. And then we come as we come back up, we go up into stage two, stage one, then up into REM, which is a more of a dream state, which is a very active brain state, beta state, which is what we're in right now, and you go through this cycle. Now, ideally, you get like, two halves of a night. You get the first half, you get the bulk of your deep sleep in the first couple of cycles. You may get a deep sleep in the, a second, in the second half of the night. And in the second half, you get mainly REM sleep, which is more of your dream step, dream sleep. So you're sort of looking for that four or five hours of that, that cycle, getting enough of each state. Um, But it's hard to control that as to whether you you can't actively say, I'm going to get this much REM or I'm going to get this much deep sleep. Um, And there are multiple reasons why, for example, you may not get right down into deep sleep. Mm -hmm. So it may be that if you had seven hours and you've got a series of good deep sleep cycles, you'll wake up feeling really refreshed. But if you've got nine hours with no deep sleep, you're likely to feel pretty rubbish. Yeah. And then you've got the added banger, <laughs> if you like, when you wake up in the morning, depending where you wake in that cycle, if, you, if you're woken out of deep sleep, so the alarm goes off and you're right in that deep sleep, you wake up and say, "Oh, it's horrible. Being woken from deep sleep is horrible. So you get really groggy and it's called sleep inertia and it's like a hangover feeling. It's horrible. So... It may well be that you've had enough sleep, but depending where you wake from your sleep cycle also affects how you then feel. It passes, but it really is whether you've been able to get into deep sleep or not that affects the quality. So you can have less sleep, good quality and feel better than more sleep, poor quality.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like it's not, it's not something obviously that you can control. I can't say, okay, I'm going to, this is what I want my sleep cycles to look like. And now I'm going to go into, you know, a certain one. Um, so I, then I guess the next best thing is creating the conditions where your body can put itself through whatever cycles it needs to go through. So I suppose let's, let's talk about what does that actually look like, right? So what are some of the things that people can do if they're trying to create, a healthy amount of uh, quality, a healthy quality, and a healthy quantity of sleep. What does that actually look like as you're trying to pull those two different levers?
1: So, I like to think of um, working on sleep during the day because at night, theoretically, there's not a great deal we can do about it. So, I start okay. to work on sleep. When I work with someone, I'll say, right, take me through your 24 hours. What's the typical 24 hours look like? What time do you need to wake up? So, we set that waking up time for a consistent seven days a week. Try to nail it as much as you can. And what I like people to do is set that, set that wait time. As soon as they get up, then they get lots of light and movement. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason for this is um, we are, this body, is a bunch of clocks. And um, the clocks are all controlled by a master clock, which is up in the suprachiasmatic nucleus at the top of the brain. And light is what sets it. So we wake up, open our eyes, lots of light, we set the clock. And that sets the circadian rhythm up for the day. So all everything knows then how to work and what time it's got to do everything. It's also setting the um, pulse for later in the evening to trigger sort of, um, 12 to 14 hours later, the production of melatonin, the sleep-inducing hormone. So that's lying in the sand for multiple reasons of that consistent wake-up time it sets the circadian rhythm and sets our biological clock up for later that night. What we're also looking for at the same time is sleep works with two processes. You've got the circadian rhythm and then um, your sleep drive or sleep pressure. And that's something that happens in the brain. So there's a chemical in the brain called adenosine that builds up through the day um, to help make you sleepy at night. Now, so if you think about during the day, I'm going to save up all my adenosine to spend that night. So as the circadian rhythm turns around towards your melatonin production, you, you create this sleep window, sleep gate, that you, they work in sync and you go through, you go to sleep. And there's enough pressure to keep you asleep. There's enough melatonin to keep you asleep. However, lots of things get in the way of that sleep pressure because um, one of the things that's really effective at blocking it is um, caffeine. Mm-hmm. So caffeine sticks to the receptors in the brain and blocks adenosine, so it stops its action. So if we the more caffeine we consume, the more pressure we are reducing. It's very effective. It does a very good job, but just you have to think about the timing. Um, light and dark it really matters. So getting all that light in the morning triggers the sleep signal later in the evening. So it means in the evening, you've got to really look for darkness. So for me, it really is about that getting up point in the morning, light, movement and consistent wake time. That, that, that line in the sound, our body likes to know where it stands. It really does respond to routine.
0: That's really helpful. Um, a couple follow-ups on that. So one, um, when you talk about consistent wake times, I know a lot of people who get up at a certain time during the work week and then on the weekends they're catching up on sleep, right? Or maybe they try to, mm. you know, maybe they stay out a little bit later or maybe they just say, you know what? I don't have to get up quite as early. I don't have to commute. And so I'm going to get up a little bit later I can see the logic of that, but as you're describing your body's processes, I'm imagining it's not quite that simple. So is, is there actually value in, in having a consistent wake time every day of the week so that your body knows what to expect, even if you're on the weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean, be, real, be really real. Um, I'm, I'm not expecting, if, I, if, if someone says to me that they, they have to get up, they have to at work by nine, for example, and that means they've got a 6.30 a.m. wake up time. I'm not necessarily going to say, unless we're really working in a tight way, which, some, which often we have to, but sort of generally, I mean, you've got to be able to flex around this. The one thing I never want anyone to do is be really restrictive and really tie themselves in knots over, I must get up at this time. So yeah, allow a little bit of breathing space around it. But think of it this way. So during the week, <clears throat> you might need seven hours sleep a night so but you get five so come saturday morning you've actually got a sleep debt of 10 hours so now it's like right well my body has 10 hours worth of sleep deprivation so of course i'm exhausted i want to pay it off unfortunately because of the circadian rhythm you can't pay it off because the circadian rhythm will go through its wakefulness drive regardless so you'll get a little bit of payoff but you won't get the whole thing and if you do try so if you start to go over i mean that sort of allow for an hour but more than an hour you're then going to start getting into a situation where you're now starting to head towards a form of jet lag social jet lag where you're moving your wake time as though you're jumping time zones so two three four hours later if that's how long you delay it come monday you still so if you had three hours extra sleep Saturday, Sunday, you're still waking up with a four-hour sleep debt, but also you're now going back in time because you've got to get up earlier, so it's like jet lag. So you've got the real whammy on Monday morning. (laughs) You're not restored. You haven't you can't catch up. You just, you have to um, be, take the consistency pill um, and do it over time. Yeah, everyone now and then is going to have a late night. I mean, you've got to live. Sure. But it's a sort of big picture. I like to think it's of for of the 80-20 rule. Try to be as consistent as you can, as much as you can, but know that you've got to live and have the odd night off where you need to and not worry about it.
0: Now you mentioned sleep debt. Is there also um, like a sleep bank that you can create where if you have really good sleep habits and you're consistent and you're getting the sleep that you need, it becomes easier to endure like one late night if you you know, you're up late with your kid who's sick or something, or you're traveling or whatever it is, like, does it become easier if you have good sleep habits or does it, does it not work that way either?
1: Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it as a sleep bank, but I do think if the overall picture is good, you can tolerate the odds bad night much easier. Um, because the, if the overall picture is good, your stress levels seem to, will be lower and they thought you will have more resilience to be able to cope with, the odd curveball when it hits you.
0: I want to talk about a couple other sort of related things here. Um, I guess one is you talked about a sleep window. I want to go back to that for a moment. So I feel like, I don't know if this is real or if this is sort of a common misconception, but I feel like sometimes, um, I'm tired. And then by the time I get into bed and try to actually go to sleep, I'm not tired anymore. Like I've missed my window. Is that, is that a real physiological phenomenon or is that a mental habit trick issue thing that that pops up where like suddenly you start psyching yourself out and you're not ready for sleep anymore? Like what's going on in those situations?
1: It's a really interesting one. So, um, because it's really common, um, with insomnia, people will say, I'm falling asleep on the sofa and by the time I get upstairs to bed, I'm wide awake and I'm busted. So if we think about the biology of it, we know but if that rhythm is set, we know that we're getting this sort of the joining up of the circadian rhythm, melatonin is being produced and there's enough sleep pressure in the system and you are progressing towards your sleep window and the gate opens and you go through. So that is happening. But the things that are getting in the way potentially could be stress, um, light exposure, um, food, all sorts of different reasons that might stop it. But that particular one, where your head hits the pillow and suddenly your brain is at four million miles an hour and you're now going to write a novel, you're going to do all this stuff and sleep's just busted. That seems to be more of an arousal sort of, it's like a conditioned arousal. It's like, oh, right, quiet, 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 brain goes, right, but hold on a minute. Do you think about all this? It's almost like that sort of last checking in, the brain's going, right, okay, ah, I've got space, (laughs) blah, 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 just It just goes, So we're in a a really aroused state and sleep disappears because if you get that burst of adrenaline and cortisol as that waking comes, that will push the biological sleep pattern out. It will override it. So I like to think about it if if you're a parent and you've got a, a child, they get really sleepy and then they don't go to bed at the right time and they're overtired. Um, and they just head into, I mean, into a crazy state. We're, as adults, we're very similar. We've overridden that state. The body is desperately tired, but actually the brain is saying, there's something here for me to stay awake for.
0: Hmm.
1: So how do we let the brain know, actually, no, there isn't anything here now. Time to let go. So a lot of working with insomnia when you're working with that, hitting the pillow piece, is about how do you reduce that stress And I like to think about starting to reduce that overload much earlier in the day. So if you think of um, a bottle of fizzy drink, again, thinking of the adrenaline and cortisol as the pressure that builds up if that bottle's been really shaken. If you imagine that and that, that piece of, I'm really sleepy, I go to bed, it's like opening that bottle when it's full of pressure, it's just carnage, it's just everywhere. So how do you open that bottle through the day to let the pressure off? What are you doing? Where are you focusing on? rest and relaxation all the way through the day to bring that down are yeah. you putting boundaries between home and work right i'm finishing work and that's all i can do close the close the laptop and walk away what are, what is the demarcation between daytime and nighttime for you because if it's all sliding together that tends to be one of the pieces where that wake up carnage happens when your head hits the pillow
0: yeah. And so I would imagine there that like activities like reading, going for maybe a gentle, like a walk, maybe stretching a little bit. I think you talk about yoga in your book. Um, like I would imagine that those types of of activities, dimming the lights, all that sort of stuff is a good way for you. One to signal to your body that you're starting to get ready, but two to give your mind a chance to, to have those thoughts and to do its racing and start to slow down a bit. Right. So like it's, it's not. Um,
1: yeah. So I'm thinking of, so being quite disciplined. I fit, so I finish work at this time. Mm-hmm. That's when work finishes. I close everything down. For some people, I will say, take um, ten minutes to write all your thoughts and worries down. Finish work, close the laptop, and write everything down and store, catch everything on paper, because it becomes this holding space. That as the evening goes on, and if you go to bed, say, like, okay, I've remembered that. I've written it down. I don't need to deal with it. Um, You may be that you get something you go back to and and it's a really simple tool that many people find really powerful to be able to um, place everything in one place because part of that mental energy is the trying to remember the things we think we need to remember. So put it somewhere in one place, keep one notebook and it's really important to physically write it as well. Um, The act of physically writing has been shown to um, be more beneficial than trying to put it in on your phone. Because also you're then creating a visual um, evidence base for yourself. You can see what it is that's going on. Over time, you can see, oh, look at the things I've constantly been worrying about. Maybe I don't need to. So it's that boundary. I finish work. I empty my brain into my notebook. And then what am I doing for the rest of the evening? Do I know how to relax? What gives me pleasure? What's my letdown? And that can be personal. I was fascinated during lockdown. There was a big craze uh, I saw online of people building Lego models. Um, What a fantastic way to de-stress because you're using your hands. It's very visual, totally distracted, totally takes you out of what's going on in here. So anything that uses the hands too is really beneficial. So some people like doing jigsaw puzzles, some people like knitting, knitting. all sorts of different things. What is it you can do that's just not the same as you did earlier, just takes you out of out of what's going on in here? You've dealt with everything that's gone on in here. Now it's time to do something something else, something that you like doing.
0: You know, you mentioned only needing to spend maybe 10 minutes or so writing down everything that's in your brain, which I think is is, is actually quite manageable. Is there a rule of thumb for how much time one might spend just as a starting point with an an unwinding type activity, like working on a puzzle or building some Legos or whatever that thing is?
1: I'm really careful about time um, because, again, it's personal and it's also something that people, remember what I said about real perfectionist types having problems with sleep? (laughs) They'll then go down the route of, um, right, I've got to give this much time to my wind down and I've got to do all these processes to be able to go to sleep. And that's not going to work because the moment you have to go away or something unexpected comes up, then you can't do all of those things. And suddenly it's like, oh, well, I can't sleep because I can't do all of those things. So, And also it's it's being realistic. Some nights you'll have more time and some nights you'll have other time. The piece about writing everything down, I do say to people, set a clock, on, do it on the clock, 10 minutes, so that it's contained. Because one of the things that people do say is, Oh, gosh, it just keeps coming and there's lots of negativity. So set it set a clock, do it on the clock, and then spend some time. I introduce a a gratitude practice, write down three good things that have happened today. So it's very much about doing what you can where you can, not sticking yourself to a rigid routine, um, and doing something you enjoy.
0: Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Now I know in the, in the habit change world, um, a lot of the focus now is, is on designing your environment, right? The space, creating a space, creating a world in which you are more likely to do the things that you want to be doing. And it's harder. There's more friction to do the things or not do the things that you you don't want to be doing. Um, let's talk a little bit about designing your sleep environment and what that looks like when you, I don't know if you ever do audits of people's homes, but if you're thinking about what's a good starting place or optimal. What types of things should people be thinking about if they want to create an environment that's conducive to getting good, quote unquote, good sleep?
1: Well, if you think that the three rules for good sleep is one is um, conducive environment, two, relaxed mind, three, relaxed body. Okay. So your environment is actually a very big factor in that. And that is one of the things that has been an issue of the university students not in control of their environment. So in your environment, what's really important for sleep is um, that it's dark because okay. sleep is affected by light. So, and some people are really susceptible to light. So if you're really, really susceptible, then using an eye mask is, is important. So darkness matters. Um, sound matters as well. So think of it in a sensory way. So if you are, sound is something that we can, we are more sensitive to during sleep, especially if we're a light sleeper. So it might be that you like you like complete silence and you can be with that, but it might be you can't control that, so you may need to wear decent headphone um, earplugs. It may be that you like to have a fan in the background, so you've got some background noise. I know for people with tinnitus, another noise in the room is really helpful. Sure. Um, so sound, light, comfort, and what does comfort mean for you? Some people like to have all the all the cushions, all the duvets. And some people like a really sparse environment. So mm-hmm. it's really making it what works for you. Um, but keeping it very simple, again, it's the sensory pleasure in life. What does what makes my body feel nice? How do I how do I relax? Do I like quiet? Do I like darkness? Do certain scents for me work? For some people. Um, aroma is is hugely important for some people. They're not bothered at all. Yeah. So it's very much it's if I if you take the five senses and think of something that affects each one that's good for you, that's for me quite a good template. But light is the biggest. Making sure that the room is dark and cool and cool. It's got to be cool.
0: That makes sense. Um, so it sounds like with all this, there's some experimentation. Like you've you've called out a couple of different levers that one could pull or areas to go explore, but there's not necessarily one right way to do it. It's really about people trying different things and seeing what works for them. Is that how you typically mm. would think about it or explain it to clients?
1: Definitely, because also um, we're all individuals. So it may be that we have a diff- each have a different chronotype and that's our body clock timing. So I might be a morning person, you might be a night owl. So your sleep needs might mean that you need to go to bed a bit later than me, whereas I need to go to bed early, have complete darkness at, say, for example, 10 o'clock at night. But you might need to be up till midnight, and then you need darkness. So it's Mm -hmm. understanding what your needs are. It may be that you need nine hours sleep, and I need seven hours sleep. Um, There's multiple different factors. So it's about working out, well, what is it that I need, and then working out, that's how I'm going to make this happen. And then if you're in a couple, how do you negotiate each other's needs? Some people sleep hot, some people sleep cold. Um, so for women, certainly, hormonally, um, there's certain points where they will be very hot. So how do you navigate that as a couple? It might be that you have separate duvets. It might be you have different pillows. Um, it may be that you may have to sleep in separate rooms because your sleep needs are so different. Actually, if you focus on on that so that your sleep quality is great your relationship overall will be better it's not such a problem to not be in the same bed because actually if you're getting enough sleep things will be better anyway and then you can make a bit of an effort in other ways when you need to so it's really really personal and it's really i think understanding there is no one size fits all that takes some of the pressure out of this
0: yeah yeah, it does seem like the pressure that we put on ourselves can be particularly problematic, right? Of like, like just in general with sleep, it seems like a lot of the challenges, um, the design, the environment, the conditions you're talking about, those seem real. But then I think we all have experiences of getting in our head and thinking like. I'm, I missed my window. And so therefore I'm not gonna be able to go to sleep or, you know, I'm, I'm, I never can go to sleep or when this happens, you know, I get a call late at work from my boss. I I can't fall asleep ever. Like, or once I wake up, then I can't go back to sleep. Like, it seems like we create some of these self-fulfilling prophecies that, that maybe have something to do with the underlying conditions, but are perhaps things we've created on top of them, which can be even harder to unravel.
1: So let's think about that. I can't get to sleep. Um, and tomorrow I'm going to be a disaster at work. How true is that? How much of a disaster are you really going to be?
0: Yeah. I, I can hear your CBT training yeah. coming through. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah.
1: And it, but it, I think it's, it's um at sort of three o'clock in the morning, we are not rational beings. We're just not, we're in a different brain space and it's very difficult to rationalize it. Actually, the truth is we'll probably be Okay. And if we don't worry about it, the body will seek to take its recovery the next night because the more you're awake, the more sleep pressure you build up the next night to knock you out to go to sleep. Um, and we can't be perfect every day. That's the other part. I mean, some days were great, some days were not so great. You yeah. can't be perfect constantly. Even your boss is going to have a bad night and then quite likely have a go at you because they're sleep-deprived and grumpy. <laughs> um You've just got to, got to be human about it and not not put that pressure on. I mean, obviously, when this starts to get serious and this is going on night after night after night, I'm never going to dismiss just how distressing it is because it's awful. It's truly, truly awful. And it's a scary, lonely place to be when you're in that situation. And it really does build up. Um, so that's when you really do need to think about, OK, I need some help here, Um because what tends to happen, people are sort of scrabbling around and going for all sorts of different things, which tends to make it worse as well. But reaching out for some help to go, right, things are a little bit out of hand. How do I pull things back in again so that I can get some better sleep sooner rather than later?
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful to know that, yeah, there's a point at which it makes sense to, to ask for some help. The other thing I want to ask you about is... Um, I guess you might call them crutches. So like, I'm sure we all know people who self-medicate in various ways, um, or even have things like a white noise machine that they're, they, they claim like you can't sleep without or whatever it is. Right. And I, I think based on our conversation, I think there's value in some of these things. And and particularly if you're in like a really, uh, really still or a really busy environment, or you have a, a radiator pipe that like is constantly banging, like whatever it is, like I could see there being value in something like a white noise machine, but are there certain things that you tend to steer people away from? whether it's devices, drugs, habits, whatever it is, are there things to watch out for?
1: Hmm. I think devices, drugs, or habits. So devices, I always ask people to stop using their device at least an hour before bed. But if you are, you've got to be realistic again, if you are using it, for example, you want to listen to a yoga nidra um, recording before bed, make sure you've turned off all alerts so that there is no temptation to check your email, look at socials. Remember, these devices are designed by geniuses to keep us awake. Right. So use it as a tool, as you would picking up a book, So, and be mindful of the fact that light really matters. Um, Drugs, sleeping pills and things do have their place when properly prescribed by a physician. Um, And medication is, for many people, a very necessary tool. part of life. Self-medication is problematic because yes that can become a crutch that is difficult to extricate yourself from. Um, But again, it's I'm not anti-sleep medication, but I am extremely pro. You get advice and you get it properly prescribed um, because it has time and a place. Um, And sometimes if someone's in a really their sleep is really shocking, just to be able to get a short break really matters, but I mean short get that break so that you can then start to work with what you need to work with without medication um and what was the other one we went we had devices drugs and habits oh habits um yeah anything that becomes really rigid and constricted so it's like you're, you're out for dinner with friends and you look at your watch and go oh, i've got to go home because i've got a sleep routine that can't can't work because then it's your sleep routine that's running your life And actually, the benefits of being out with your friends and things should outweigh the fact that you may have a bumpy night tonight. But you know what? You'll recover tomorrow. You'll be okay.
0: Yeah. Heather, I think that's great advice to end on. I said this when we were talking at the outset, but, um, your new book, the science of sleep, stop chasing a good night's sleep and let it find you is an amazing book. It's a beautifully designed book. And one of the things I love about it is that there's, um, it's organized by common questions, right? So if you have a specific challenge, a specific thing that you've been thinking about, um, there's a section on it, uh, whether you're a a mom, you're someone who's, um, you know struggling with jet lag, whatever it is, there's a variety of different things, many of which we haven't talked about here today. so I'll, I'll link to the book in the show notes. I really enjoyed reading through it um, and thanks to you for coming on and, and sharing so much and um, hopefully you know helping to demystify a little bit about sleep. but I think more than that just sharing the message that it's okay to experiment and and the biggest thing is not to uh, not to build it up, not to make it into something that that creates more problems than perhaps solutions as you think about sleep and, and how you might get a better night's one. Um, in the nights ahead. So thanks again, Heather. I really appreciate you coming on here.
1: Thanks for having me. I hope it's helped.
0: Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If this was your first time listening to Reinvented, be sure to click the subscribe button now. If you've been enjoying the show for a while, don't forget to leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone that would love this episode, take a moment to spread the word. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.